All right, Mike, welcome to the Really Rich Podcast, man. It's great because I met you like, what, 48 hours ago? 48 hours ago. And I'm just, when I see, you know, when you see a wild man in the forest, you know exactly. <laughs> you, could tell. you could tell. You're like, you, he's, he's like me. You had the burning, you had the fire in your eyes. All right, Mike, no one knows who you are. Tell me a little bit about you. Tell me what you're working on at Huddle. Fill us in. I want this to be wild and crazy, but give, give us something to sink our teeth into. Yeah, so my name is Mike Saloyo. Grew up in Western Massachusetts. Spent the last 15 years in New York. Uh, started my career working in Wall Street as a technology investment analyst. Okay. And in 2014, this is where it gets crazy. Okay, good, good, good. In 2014, I was like looking around to shake it up, do something different. Mm -hmm. Started meeting different people in startups. Started following different venture investors, reading their newsletters and you're like, wait, I'm reading this stuff every day. Yeah. It's exactly. starting to sink in. Yeah. I was like, I want to, I want to be at the ground floor of where these companies are getting created. Right. Because at the time I was covering EMC, Cisco, Apple, mm, the big you know, dogs, really interesting stuff, but like far, not tangible. And so I went to a, a meetup in New York called the fat startup at the time. Okay. And it was bridging hip hop culture and entrepreneurship. Okay. And it was a Ben Horowitz book signing. Right on. So venture capitalist Ben Horowitz was going to show up, talk about his new book, The Hard Thing About From Hard Things. From Andreessen Horowitz. Yes. Yeah. And I read the book and I was like, yeah, I'm going to this thing. Like maybe I'll meet Ben Horowitz, you know? Sweet. And uh, Ben was late to the event. So everyone was just kind of like sitting around and through the door, uh, I saw one of my favorite hip hop and R&B producers and artists named Ryan Leslie Sweet. like walk in. So I was like, yeah, that, that's Ryan Leslie. And the people around me were like, who's that? So right. I, I started like <laughs> listing off his catalog. Cause okay. for whatever reason, I was always interested in like who produced what song for sure, man. Yeah. And so he got up there and talked about his idea, which was called something different then, but it was, it's, it was an idea called Superphone, which basically he was giving his phone number out on social media mm -hmm. in order to get followers to text him so okay. that he could own his audience and then sell his album directly to them on Shopify. Oh, so he was like kind of pioneering, at least direct consumer, at least as music goes. Right. And so then after the event, he gave out his phone number to everybody. So I text him and he was like, I'm putting a small, you know, seed round together. Ben Horowitz is in. Damn. And I was like, well, I know how to do an investor deck right. because I've been in Wall Street for eight years doing reports and decks. And so, yeah, I mean, to make a long story short, like fast forward 30 days, I, I left Wall Street and I went to work for Superphone Dude, and I helped them raise their seed round. That's fantastic. And that's what pushed me into startups. And the best part about this is you didn't even know this guy was going to be in the room. I had no idea. <laughs> and then I thought it was even wilder. I was like, did he just give out his email and his phone number? Publicly? And like, I was like, I, I remember thinking like, no one's going to text, no one's going to really email this guy, but like, right. I'm going to do it. And he's not going to write back. And then he was like, yo, can you link in 30 minutes? And I was like, okay. <laughs> That's how it goes, right? <laughs> yeah. You spend your whole life thinking. It's kind of like this, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah. But we're, we've seen it before. So now we're used <laughs> to crazy shit. Yeah. It's like in the beginning of your career, you're like, there's just an ivory tower around all the opportunities. And I'm, you know, it's going to take me my whole life to get to that level. And then you find out that you can just like text the speaker. And 10 minutes later, he's like bringing no one, you into his inner circle. Yeah, yeah because <laughs> no one because no one does it because they think there's that they think there's that ivory tower as you call it. All right, so but everyone's just a human. Right. And this is the so no one does it. 
This is one of those things where if there's like a fire and, and everyone smells smoke, like, you know, there's this phenomenon where nobody calls the fire department because everyone thinks that you called the fire department. So everyone just goes, ah, I guess the and then the building burns down. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like that. It's like the success version of that. Like, oh, he's probably busy. He's probably got a line at his door, you know, with these dudes, just like me, just as smart as me. And then there's nobody outside this guy's door, right? It's yeah. it's the exact same thing. And you're the one guy that was like, uh, I, I have an idea. I smell smoke. Could I? And he's just like, yeah, dude, that's why I'm up here on this fucking stage. Yeah. Talking to you assholes. <laughs> so somebody texts me after, you know, I'm not just doing this as a marketing stunt. And uh, you were that guy. Yeah. And it worked. And it worked. I love this. I love this stuff. All right, keep going. What, so what happens next? You end up at this super phone. Like six months for us to raise a seed. And I was the first business development hire. It's funny to talk about this. And Well, that's what we do here. Yeah. And you're like, I've never told anyone about that before. <laughs> <laughs> and like the, the way that I always tell this story to people is I was the business development person. There was no real business develop at the time mm -hmm. in retrospect. Mm -hmm. Like the product wasn't there. Okay. And so what I ended up doing was learning a lot more about product because mm -hmm. we would go into these meetings and we were selling to like, like Lil Wayne, we did a campaign with 50 cent. We did a campaign with, we were going after these big artists and saying, yo, you should own your data and your, you should know who your customers are in right. 2000. This is 2014. And this is basically a, the most quick and dirty, badass way to build SMS campaigns. That, right? Yeah, that was it. I think I've heard of Superphone. Probably there's a, there's a, there's a couple other companies in the space right now. Okay. The other one is called community, okay. which ended up raising a bigger round of venture capital okay. on the same general concept. I mean, it's smart, right? Because it's, there's no friction. It's just Texas number. Yeah. All right. As long as it fast. feels like a human, no one wants to get texted by like a bot. Right. So that I could go into detail on that, okay. but basically what happened is after the first like tranche of VC was like winding down and they were getting ready to re-raise, right. I kind of, I was like, there's no real spot for me here. Mm. Um, and you, do you feel like you learned you got in your soaked up enough at that point? The real insight that I had was that I really loved the messy stage mm -hmm. of getting a company off the ground yeah. and I wanted to just do that over and over again. Mm -hmm. So I started consulting inside of different agencies and startup studios, helping okay. them with decks, helping them with their prototypes. And so from working at Superphone, I went and worked inside of a bunch of different startup studios and agencies, both as a consultant and I was a partner at two different agencies okay. in New York where all we did was help startups with their prototype and their pitch deck. And basically from like idea on the back of a napkin mm -hmm. to product funding and team. Yeah, and awesome. I thought that was like the coolest way to be an investor ever. So I was kind of taking what I learned in investment land and Combining coupling it, it with this like new skill that I got, which is like, oh, I could do this now. Like when I came to this company, right. There was, you know, a celebrity C, a celebrity CEO, a celebrity right. investor, but like no capital raised and some early customers. And like when I left, there was like a fully designed product and all this other stuff. So I, yeah, I just thought that ass. was really fun. And and how long did that take from you sh showing up to the, how long were you with Superphone? Like two years. Two years. And I'm just curious from my own, my own knowledge, how long was it when you went from this amorphous sort of idea phase to actually having a, a real product that you could go to market with and get like a huge artist to, to sign on? Or did you guys basically start our, with your, your MVP and we, get people to sign up with that and then evolve into a more robust product? The latter. Yeah. Yeah. So we had big artists running campaigns with our app, 
when it wasn't really ready. Yeah, V0. But we were just like being overly hands-on okay. with them. Like we were we were running artist Shopify stores. Got it. And taking the data manually from Shopify into a CSV and uploading it into their app because the integration wasn't there, it was right. breaking. So we just did whatever we could to try to make these artists, A, could we show that they could monetize their mm -hmm. fans on text? And B, could we show them like, hey, you knew none of your Twitter followers. Yeah. Now you have information on 10,000 of them and you could actually send them a text. That's so when you go to California to do a show, you can text your closest fans for a VIP meet and greet mm. or whatever. Because you can filter out by the Cali numbers. Yeah, we could filter by how much revenue they spent, what they bought, and where they live. Those are the three biggest things. Wow. Okay. So then you get depth of metrics on just a phone number. Yeah. You start to build a little CRM around each number about what they've done. Yeah. So when, when, when we were raising, we walked into Betaworks, which is another one of our investors. And that they, I think they were the first one to say it. They were like, this is like simple CRM for creators. Mm. And we were like, yeah. Why didn't... So why didn't anyone tell me about this thing? This sounds fantastic. I don't know. Maybe that's, what, maybe that's another reason we're here. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I'm so stupid because I, I always watched Gary V say, text this number. I'm like, what? The, why? Yeah, he, why? Was, he was one of our first customers too. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So it all makes sense now because I'm dim and I'm looking at Gary V. I'm like, why does Gary V have this phone number that he, you know, why shouldn't he be having a more sophisticated? It's like, no, dude, the phone number just as you've said, you can attribute all the data to the phone number, just yeah. like you could with an email. And the, and the only difference is the user, all I have to do is click a button, bop, and then send the, it's like probably 0.5 seconds quicker than typing in your email. And that might make that conversion rate 10% more, it might be double, which yeah. is the difference between having a 500,000 person list and a million person list. Yeah. Woo. In terms of, Sweet. Yeah, in terms of conversion. You know, you basically know your follower better from that text than some people do with email lists with 500,000 people on it because you, you just have such more depth. Yeah. To it. Oh, I got to grow up, guys. I got to I got to grow <laughs> don't up. Don't grow up too much. I'm gonna, well, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. You don't no, need to I worry about that. Either. I've known you for 48 hours, but I'm pretty sure. And I haven't grown up in, the, in that 48 hours. So that's a good sign. <laughs> What happens after Superphone, dude? So you're so you're you're at Superphone. You go into the consulting phase. Yeah, I, which we uh, touched on a I little joined, bit. I joined a, a studio in New York uh, called Luminary, and that's where I actually met my current co-founder okay. at Huddle, Stephanie Stephanie okay. Golick. And we left that studio to go to another studio. Same thing, building MVPs, lightweight brand identity, investor decks for startups. Okay, and you're handling everything from like design to building actual tech like what what, do, yeah. what stages are you we everything would, in that beginning awkward growing everything phase. in the beginning awkward phase okay yeah most people don't wish this on their worst enemy and you're like i'm gonna do this a thousand times i wanted to help i like am attracted to people who want to do their dream mm. as crazy as that sounds mm -hmm. and uh, entrepreneurs fall into that category sure and people do things for all different types of reason reasons but i i like people who are like i'm gonna go i'm gonna go for it and i feel called i feel like called to help as many of those people as i can and it's weird that i am now one that like wasn't the plan at all you became I, one i was just gonna like support yeah i, I thought working inside of startup studios was like was, that that's was just what i was gonna do okay so you basically just were around this stuff so much you're like well i guess i'll just start my own thing you and stephanie take <laughs> off there was more there was more there was more hiccups than that yeah, I, I had I had um, 
challenges in business partnership, mm -hmm. uh, with, with a couple of partners. I think maybe I really want to do it on my own or wanted to do it my way. Mm -hmm. Part of it also was just learning how to like be in, in business partnership with somebody. I think you're on the other side now. I have a really good business partnership now in 2018. I started my own version of the thing okay. called the new company, which was a startup studio. I think I helped launch like 10 companies out of that. And that's badass. Yeah. It was badass because I liked what I was doing. I started a dinner series for designers and creatives and founders and investors to meet on Sunday night and like talk about real shit okay. over dinner. This had to be in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a thousand percent in Williamsburg. One hundred percent. I think I've like been to something like this before. Yeah. And then and then um, if I fast forward through that part, which was a it was the, probably the bump. This was like the bumpiest part for me as an entrepreneur because it wasn't working out for me financially, like at all. It was going the other way. So it's I was helping all these founders. That does, it's an agency that does a lot yeah. of crazy shit. And it, you're never going to make money from doing that. You're it, never going to be make your hourly rate. You're going to be working like a dog, doing everything. Ten people, you launch ten businesses, and Dude. like I knew like new no, zero happy agency. I've met like zero happy agency owners. Right. I'm one of them. Oh I'm yeah, an, I'm an ex agency owner. Yeah. yeah, and so I was like, there's got to be a more like scalable, bigger way to do this. So fast forward to 2020, mm -hmm. it's the heat of lockdown right. at the pandemic. And Stephanie and I on the phone, she's she's like an advisor at the new company at the time. She okay. was helping me with like my brand and stuff like that, doing design work for me. But we, her and I were always kicking around ideas. Okay. And that's sort of when we had the epiphany, like, what if this was a platform? Mm. Like everyone's working from home. Stephanie was working at a big tech company at the time and okay. she was like getting her job done quickly like a lot of people were and they had all this spare time right so she's living in miami now too she left san francisco she's living in miami i'm living in brooklyn we were like wow there's so many new types of people mm -hmm. that are going to start freelancing now because they have time right so before it was like nine to five in the office now it's like oh i have time to do other things and at the same time there was like all these people starting companies like i i, I also had the insight which i think when people's back is up against the wall for whatever reason. Maybe it's not, maybe they just feel like it is. They start, they go after the thing they weren't going to do anyway. So on I mean, one hand, it's like we had all this time during the pandemic, but on the other hand, it's like, I have no excuse and I might lose my job. So I may as well go like shoot for the fucking stars yeah. at this point. And yeah. the other thing the pandemic did in Ventureland is it accelerated the time it took to fundraise. Mm -hmm. Like I met I only met any of my investors at my current company huddle af after we raised money. Like there was no <laughs> road show. You just did everything on zoom. Right. So we were like, how are these founders going to connect with, with people to build their thing? Right. We should create that instead of it being an agency, it should just be a community of great designers, engineers, marketers, and brand people okay. uh -huh. that when we make it really easy for founders to find them and, and get a team around it all they in one place all in one place. So you create an account, you pitch a project to the community, you know, n now it's 24 hours, but at okay. the time it was like two weeks cause we were doing everything manually. Right. We could get basically an elastic, flexible team of freelancers around a founder. Ah, okay. So let me describe how this works before things like huddle come along. Yeah. You have an idea and then you have all the segments of the idea that need to be 
that need to be put together and then independently project managed UX UI, uh, even having a brand kit before you turn up to UX UI. Yeah. Oh yeah. Then building the MVP on the dev side. Holy shit. Okay. That's two or three teams already. We, we don't even have anything. Oh, oh. And then we have to communicate to put all the pieces together so that you actually have something usable that someone can touch. Oh yeah. Let's throw in a web dev there too. Uh, if we're building it completely custom, an HTML guy, maybe you're using Webflow. Are we done yet? Like, w there's like 12 people involved in a project, and and I'm pretty sure it's just you and your co-founder who has no idea what the hell you're talking about. And right. Just, he does something else completely. He or she does something else completely differently. So I'm doing this right now with a new product that I'm about to launch. Yeah. And I just said to myself, Isn't there an easier way? Like. Like, God damn, I'm, I'm good at this starting process. I'm okay in that obscure, murky, weird world of starting things. But this time, I swear, I was sitting at my desk before I jumped in the car to come and meet you. Yeah. And I said, I am too, f I, I have done this too many times. I know how to do this. I don't need to prove this to myself. I don't need to save money. And I, I can spend money. I'm like, I don't need to do this the same way that I've been doing this. I swear, I mean, I was literally having this conversation because I'm about to build out. I need an MVP for this thing I'm building and I, I, I want it to be beautiful. I don't want it to, it doesn't need to be scrappy anymore. That, like this is my 10th or 12th round too. Yeah. So it doesn't need to look like shit guys. Like it should look fucking great out of the box, right? Or it should look pretty good out of the box. And I was, I was just like, oh God, I have to do this all over again. So I can see the allure of what you're doing for founders that have fucking done it before. Because if they haven't done it before, they don't know what they don't know. What is your some who, of our who signs some of up our, for Huddle? Our first case studies were actually people that have done it before. They have to, and a lot of they know how bad it is with not doing yeah, it. Yeah, and a, a lot of the I think the investors who passed on Huddle were like, "Oh, well, founders need a full time team. Like they know what they're doing. They're never going to use this." But we saw the exact opposite. The exact opposite was. I have done this before. I hated managing all of my designers and developers that I found on Fiverr. I went the agency route. They were super expensive, but ultimately after the agency hands the thing over to you, right. then you have to manage it. And then you bring on you know, a CTO and they want to rewrite the code. Anyway. So the handoff is really bad. And so, yeah, a lot of our initial uh, customers were like second time founders who were like, oh, this is, this is quick sense. and fast. I just, I need to get out the door with Makes something quality. Sense. And if I use you, I can poach, I can maybe poach my team. Like a lot, that's what a new thing we've been throwing around is like, you're going to want to poach your team. Cause mm -hmm. on one hand, again, I think a lot of investors who were worried about like founders disintermediating us and stealing their team. were like, this is the new world of work. It's flexible. Right. We're not getting disintermediated. You might hire your designer from huddle full time, right. but they're still going to be a community member. Right. So they might still side hustle for a couple hours or advise a startup on the side, or right. maybe once they're done with you, they come back and look for work. So it's just a really cool, like fluid, elastic world of work that we're going into. But it is just more about being able to get a team of experts around your idea fast and flexibly Yep, and be able to start moving. And a lot of that was a part of my own personal journey too. I think I'm a pretty analytical person and coming from Wall Street where I got paid to analyze things and right. write about the trends, I struggled to like take action. Mm. Like I would just, I would, I like over debated everything and aim, over analyzed aim, everything. Aim, 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 aim. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, I was like, oh, I just need to start shipping 
right. product out into the universe and the universe will tell you if what's working or, like not. People or not. Will, yeah. yeah. So, so you have to like learn through doing. Mm -hmm. So that's the other kind of message that we're sending is there's a lot of different communities out there where you get a lot of advice and mentorship. Mm. So we worked in, Stephanie and I worked inside of like Techstars. We worked inside of XRC Labs, Expo Labs, YC, and there's an overwhelming amount of advice and advisorship mm -hmm. and connection to investors, but like no one can find a designer. <laughs> and so, and I just got so overwhelmed with all the advice. Like I felt like it, I didn't feel like the advice served me. I mm -hmm. felt like it clouded my You're mind. You're like, I'm, I'm good. Just please stop talking and let's get to work. Well, I, I've also now learned if I'm sitting in an investor meeting and someone's like, saying something that I don't find is productive, I've learned to like, mm -hmm, okay. Just let it. Yeah. Like tell me, I, I, I switch my brain into a mode of like, what can I learn from you? Mm. Instead of, cause I used to just get def I still do, uh, less so, but I would just really get defensive okay. and start like almost arguing in these meetings just cause I was so passionate about right. like, no, you don't get it. Like it doesn't work like that. It's going to work like this. Right. Cause in my head I already knew how it was going to work. Yeah. And so I used to just get overwhelmed with like opinions from everybody. But I think, I think now when I get opinions, I realize that like, that's just their, their opinion. And I can like take it or leave it. I can take it or leave it. Yeah. But going back to huddle, the, a lot of these ecosystems are focused on networking and advice. And I wanted okay. to build one that like pushed people into action and got them building. Right. Well, also when we said this is like, I, I described my use, my imagined use use case and yeah it's that second, well it doesn't third. sound it doesn't sound imagined it's real yeah. yeah it's not imagined guys fuck all right god damn it take my money here we're gonna do a live <laughs> i'm about to close the customer we're gonna do a live customer <laughs> sign up here <laughs> so we navigate to huddle.works i know he's, um, right he's like don't fuck this up nick america's watching okay okay but what what i was gonna say is the flip side of this huddle is like it's for that second time, third time founder that knows the difference between cobbling and the shit show involved. But I would say it's equally, it's like equally not for the first time founder who needs to go through the hellish fire brimstone to even know that they need you. I don't know if they'd appreciate yeah, you so, as much as they should. So it's a really highly managed experience in terms of when a founder comes on and posts a project, they get immediately connected with a community member called a partner okay. who's been there, done that, has been in the weeds with a lot of companies cool. and basically serves as a support to help them put the team together. So it's equally for first time mm. founders too. Like we, we want to be for like everyone starting anything. anything or even businesses that are further along that are, that need, Silicon Valley level talent support. Right. And a fresh set of juice flowing through the project. Yeah. Because when you don't know what you don't know, then you need someone to walk you through the, the, the jungle a little bit. Like, you know, it's like, which is interesting because you solve for that with this, this partner who did who's like, okay, this is how this works. Yeah. Because my first time, my very first time, I didn't know what I didn't know, you know? And now, like, so on our previous a couple of weeks ago, we filmed with my uh, my friend Ned, Mc, Ned McPherson. He's like test. He's just Mr. Quick and Dirty Test and uh, validation. Quick and Dirty Validation yeah. of an idea. And I became the ch champion of the world of validating ideas quick and dirty. And that was like the thing that I've that's carried me this far is making sure I'm building the right thing. Now, 
where I think I need to really get to is, okay, dude, you're so good at validating. You're so good at seeing the, the what's working, what's not, casting aside the bullshit and picking up the, the diamonds. It's like, well, now you need to be rapidly shipping as fast as you're rapidly iterating and validating. And I haven't solved that yet. Yeah. What have you tried? I, I've tried to cobble together my own teams faster, but there's only so much speed that you can do. I'm in the middle of it right now. I'm looking for a, a totally different project than the one I'm, I'm mysteriously referring to yeah, here yeah. Um, for, for my AI company. I am in the process of interviewing UX UI because we have all of this. We have a Ferrari engine. It just it doesn't look like the mish, the sports car that it is. Yeah, it doesn't look like how you want it. To no. Look. So the user experience is so is so critical, and it communicates how sophisticated the technology is through the visual language of the way the the app looks and how smooth you move through it. Right. Right now, it's just not doing that. Right. So. What am I, what am I doing? I'm interviewing and I have my own system of rapidly identifying the right person, but dude, everyone's all over the world. So my interviews are going to take me two weeks to get through. You think I want to spend two weeks interviewing people? No, I want to find the person and I want to get to work because I wanted this wrapper on my software two weeks ago. I wanted this on my software a month ago. So that's what I'm doing over there. And I can, I can talk about that. That's no problem because it's, it's, that's a tool. Like everyone needs to know that, you know, V1 of everything or, you know, we're, we're, this is like for everyone who's seeing the tool, you've played around with fast outreach. It's like, you might think it's V3 for us, but it's still like V0.1. Like there's so much more that we're building into it, but this is the challenge I'm doing right now, dude. I'm trying to hire UX UI and it's going to take me, it's going to take me freaking two weeks at least. Yeah. You're like, oh Come man, customer acquisition <laughs> mode activated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, the team is everything. Everything. Yeah. And, and and my other side. So like, that's right. That's where I thought you were going to go with it is like, well, maybe I didn't think you were going to go there. Maybe I was just projecting what I right. would do. But I think a big part of being an entrepreneur is getting great people and yeah. getting out of the way and like yes. really trusting them and like, and guiding, setting vision, giving feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, but like letting them do, cause sometimes I'm like, mm -hmm. Oh, that's never going to work. And then it works. And I'm like, yeah. I, I don't, you know, like, do I, did I know that that wasn't going to work? Why was I so confident? I don't know. That's it's funny. Like, why was I so confident about it? It's, it's hard. It's hard to hold a vision and then still be open to like yes. someone else is going to contribute to this in a way that I didn't even so much better than I would have thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. That like, thank God they contributed. Well, that's the difference between a great team and an and, a, and an average or below average team. Below average team is going to hit you on par. You know, they're just going to just get it to where you fucking muscle it in. Yeah. And then a great team exceeds your expectations and then teaches you something. Yeah. And that is rare. Super hard. Especially if you're cobbling together teams um, one off in a contractor environment on the Upworks of Fibers. By the way, you can find great people. Totally. Okay. But sifting through, here's the thing. Anyone, <laughs> I mean, the barrier to entry in the digital space is the lowest barrier to entry to any industry in the entire world. Anyone can say they're this. Anyone can say they're that and anyone can falsify their portfolio. Anyone can create bullshit reviews. It is completely an ecosystem where you could fake the entire thing. There's very few other environments where you can fake the entire thing. You can't just be like, you know, a lawyer and you're like, by the way, I'm not a fucking lawyer. I mean like that, you, can't, you know, I was going to say airline pilot. And then there's the movie with, uh, with, uh, with Frank Ab Abagnale. The true story of the airline pilot flew around the world. He's like, I'm not a pilot, you fucking idiots. Like, so anyway, back to graphic design. You can fake <laughs> it, dude. You can fake web design. Why are you looking at me like I'm crazy? 
You're just like, what? No, there, there is just a lot of stuff out there. There's, yes. there's a lot to sift through. There's a lot of noise. Yeah, is all I'm trying to say. Because in, in, in this build world, there's no credentials. There's no this. You don't have to go to this school. The best guy in the entire world might be in Indonesia. You, you don't, he, you can't see him. He's a cartoon headshot, but he's, the, he's a genius. And how do you know he's the guy from the other guy whose profile kind of looks like him? You know, yeah. and that other guy stole half of his freaking portfolio from another guy. Yeah. And this is this is the world that we live in in hiring this. The, the beauty is you have liquidity of talent. The problem is you have so much fucking liquidity of talent. You know, anybody and their brother can open up shop, which means there's a players and there's B players and there's all the way down to the, you know, the fucking not even the minor leagues like the bench warmer. Yeah talent and and sometimes when you're not technical or you're uninformed and you're hiring for something technical you don't know your fucking a players from your B, d players see that all the time also i've found that founders want to they want to be confident in what they do know mm. so sometimes it is an exercise in just getting them to like well it depends on who the founder if the founder comes in they're highly technical and they've had an exit or whatever we we obviously like listen to them. I want to learn too. You're like, shut up, sit down. You don't know anything. <laughs> no, like, but, but I sold my company for five hundred million dollars. <laughs> right. And like, I'm like, here everyone's the same. I'm like, do you want to invest in Huddle? <laughs> um we'll take it. Yeah. And on the other side, there's people that haven't done it before, but they're still trying to like portray that they're confident. So mm. sometimes it's an exercise in just like especially as a startup ourselves, it's an exercise in just getting them to like trust us a little bit. Okay. But our huddle's like our our talent comes from like Amazon, Facebook, Spotify, right. top agencies like Red Antler, Gin Lane, Collins, a lot of really hyper creative talent that there is no platform for them. Like they're not hmm. like the average designer. When I put in a project, I just hired this is kind of sound kind of funny, but I just hired a contract designer to do like a couple tweaks on my personal website right. um, from Upwork. Yeah. And it was super cost effective and they were great. I had to like really manage them. Can I have them? Because my personal <laughs> Yeah, if you want, of course. Shit. You know, the average designer I found was like in between 20 and like $35 an hour. Right. The and average designer. Over in Asia? Where, where are they? Yeah, you, they, were, they were overseas. Okay. And the average designer on Huddle's like, you know, 125, 150. Right. Sometimes more expensive. Yeah. Well, we, pie the we pieced the team together so that it's cost effective for a startup between you know, three years experience and eight years experience. But the other really big endeavor is creating the future home on the internet yeah, and in real life for the most skilled freelance freelancers in the world. Yeah. This new whole, like one of the coolest things that I learned from doing this is like a bunch of people came to huddle from Amazon, okay. like, like super skilled, you know, these are like the best, software yeah. engineers and designers in the world. And they're like, what should my rate be? Cause they've never freelanced before. Mm. Right. They've always been in a more traditional environment. Mm. So that's been really cool and rewarding to like educate. Cause one of the, I think one of the best ways to be an entrepreneur is just freelance first. Cause you have to spin up an LLC, get a bank account, right. Learn how to send a proposal, learn how to send an invoice, learn how to connect your invoice, what collect your invoice, you know, what should your payment terms be? How do I do taxes? Like you're a business, you're starting a business, but you're, but you're walking before you're running yeah. as a freelancer, as opposed to just saying, and I'm going to create the next fucking unicorn, right? Like you're like, okay, let's just 
dip our toe in here. Let's see what I'm good at, bad at, what's going to blow up. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of the, and we've already seen this happen. I think a lot of the freelancers in huddle are going to start companies and come right mm. back to the other side of the community. And as like, a customer. Yeah. And we've already had that happen. That's interesting. Which is really cool. And I think there's really very cool long-term implications to our company from this just world we're creating of people who like to build stuff together. That's like a, a, a chef at, let's say like the guy that makes the pizza coming back and eating the pizza at the restaurant on the weekends. That's how good the freaking pizza is. <laughs> He's like, I make pizza all day, but I still eat pizza on the weekends <laughs> and I pay my money <laughs> to eat the pizza. Uh, man. Yeah. Okay. So this is a model for what I've heard. I've heard this argument before and I now believe it even more talking to you yeah. that the future becomes this Ocean's Eleven style uh, world where there's the expert team that meets in Vegas to, you know, to create the heist and then they disband after the, the mission's complete, right? So in the future, it's, it's less fractalized where everyone's their own in their, their they, everyone has their own brand but what they're doing is they're now organizing and come to get coming together in these little pods um and you guys probably have, call it a huddle maybe yeah it's called the huddle. okay i want to get the branding down right <laughs> coming together in a huddle it's pretty on the nose boom see i know what i'm doing guys they're coming together in a huddle executing and back to you know no one even knows where these guys live you probably do. They pay, you have to remit taxes on their behalf, but let's just say it's, it's, it's more of a vibe if you think they just disappear. But that's, it's a really interesting model for the future because on one hand, I think everyone becomes really independent, but there's certain projects that require this collaboration to execute yeah, the you, right way. In fact, you're out, this is where it gets interesting. You're like, well, my hourly rate is a hundred and let's just say to make numbers around, it's a hundred and I work only, you know, on this, it's like, well, maybe it's 80 and now you get 50% more projects joining a huddle, you know, maybe like when you yep. combine and you become more flexible and you create, you join these pods, these huddles, whatever you have, you just get more work. So the phone rings from oceans 11, you know, uh, Brad Pitt fucking is just like, Hey, uh, we got another job. And you're like, all right, how much is it? It's kind of like that. It is kind of like that. I and love you get that. more work. I love that analogy. Yeah. yeah. You need a, you need a cross-functional team to make anything happen. You do. I, very, very, very practically. I can talk about like, like the one thing that I never got in the beginning was like, like mm. a good copy. The, like it's G, like the person who did our most recent turn of copy mm -hmm. puts things into words that I could just never have ever. I'm like, how did you say that in three words? They're like chat GPT. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like even a website requires a designer, yeah. a, a UX designer, a visual designer. Sometimes they're the same person, but maybe there's a creative director, maybe there's a copywriter, then there's a someone who, you know, can actually build it on Webflow or if it's more sophisticated, does it on WordPress or wherever. Right. Yeah, that's already like five people. But a lot of people <laughs> think it's going to be just one. Sometimes it is, but it's super rare. And it's I think it's even more rare that it's going to be good if you do everything yourself. But it's it's been you before yeah i've done all that stuff Me too yeah i've done all that i i think it was i, I don't think it do was the that stuff to a degree th there's things. like you know there's probably rhetoric out there that says you know you should do everything yourself first so that you learn it and hand it off i kind of disagree with that honestly i think that i think entrepreneurship is about creating 
opportunities for other people more than yeah. it is about like that's what scale is in a, in a way yeah so i think the sooner you get that you can't do everything and that you're probably good at like the things that you're good at and not good at the things you it's just funny to me that so many entrepreneurs go through that and then like seven years later they learn the three things they're supposed to be doing it's like maybe you have to go through that but maybe you don't maybe you maybe you can uh. learn that you're actually you shouldn't be doing that because maybe not shouldn't your time is better served doing the things that give you energy and yes. that create like a lot of value right. when you do them. And there's other people that do the things that give them a lot of energy. And that, that's what creates, I think really good. It's certainly what creates really good startup teams. And your speed to market is just mind blowingly fast. I and, think at that point, and your energy as a founder is like the most important yeah thing yeah is how do you get up every day and feel do like, what you do like and if you're therapy. drained yeah this is getting therapeutic for me good good if you're drained at the end of the day because you've been banging your head up against the wall trying to like figure out how to like wireframe a thing when are you're you reading my brain are you looking at my emails what <laughs> who do you know no i mean i i, I have the i have the <laughs> like great privilege of like you know i've helped launch over 100 companies we wow. did 55 at huddle last year that's spectacular. And so I've, I've just, I've seen a lot of stuff. You've seen some crazy shit. I've seen some crazy <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> if you saw what I've seen, man. <laughs> it you does did, help. You did have that thousand yard stare for a second. You like, <laughs> you're like, you don't even know what I've seen. You can take this conversation wherever you want. I know. And I'm like, I should reel it in. Really? Guys, I, don't, this I, don't is, know, I don't know if you should. This is a bit... <laughs> You're like, uh, I've seen button colors increase conversion rate 20% last month. Okay. I've seen some shit. So when we're, man, I just, uh, this, this, this is going to cost me money, this podcast, because I'm like, huddle, man, I, you're doing the exact thing that I need to do. You're doing the exact thing that I need. Here's my thing in my life. And I know this is not every entrepreneur, but in I have two sides of me. I have the traditional entrepreneur and then I have the media, social media guy, right? Yeah. Uh, social media guy makes a lot of money. Entrepreneur guy makes a lot of money. Social media guy is feeding the other guy, right? So they both can grow. They both have opportunity, totally. right? So a social media guy continues to create and, and iterate on new products because social media, just being big on social media doesn't make you successful, like financially. Like it, it gives you reach, but it doesn't mean you're getting paid for that reach. And that is a fucking scary reality for a lot of creators who aren't business minded people. Okay. So it became really apparent for me in the beginning that the views aren't dollars. It's what do you do with the views? So for me in the, in the early days, it was brand deals, right? It won't still, still is to some degree and, and sponsorships combing through and picking the right sponsorships and those sponsorships because of the size of my audience and the, the, you know, the, the type of content, the type of people that I'm speaking to, they pay me a, a good rate to, to produce that, that content. But then it's like, dot, dot, dot. It's like, well, what else, you know, do you create a, you know, a, do you drop some hoodies, you know, like, like the Nelk boys, do you print, you know, $3 million with a hoodies and crush it? Like the, like the Nelk boys are like, um, uh, Jake Paul and these guys who sell this, but it's like, for me, turns out that that's not my thing, right? Like selling streetwear hoodies 
quite literally would make no sense for me to do. And when you look at social media, you just look at like, well, what's the other big guys doing? Yeah. And there's no paradigm. There's no paradigm. So it's like brand deals. And then like the mic, it just gets quiet in the room. You're like, but what else, you know, am I supposed to do? So for me, I'm literally inventing products that nobody's done before and I'm testing them. Okay. In addition, all the other traditional stuff. The thing is when I build these products now, the bigger my audience gets, the higher, there's a, there's a lot of eyeballs on, on my tests and there's a lot of eyeballs on my finished products. Those products have to be great now. Those products have to be as great as. You feel more pressure now? I feel more pressure now to deliver something that's that's f really put together because nobody's got time for a half-assed website anymore, in my opinion. So there's pressure on both sides. It's like, <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous. It's almost more pressure on social media than it is on like like the nuts and bolts of growing like a multi-million dollar AI company. Like that, I'm like, we got this. We're good. And on, the, on social media, I'm like, you know. I need to create another product. Because you can build the AI company behind closed doors for, doors for a while. Be, you, still have, you still have to show it to people at some point. But yeah, everything you everything you turn out gets like uh, yeah. a lot of eyeballs right away. Right. Whereas what I'm doing right now, I mean, we did 55, you know, we probably talked to 200 entrepreneurs last year and did 55 huddles, right? You're, okay. Every time you do anything, it's like... Any, in other words, anytime you ship anything to oh, your audience, it's correct. like people million, see it. It's like however many million people. Correct. People see it. And I want to make sure that it's adding more value. Otherwise, I should just sell the hoodies and mugs like everybody else. I'm, I'm joking. I, can't, I literally can't do that. It doesn't make any it's, sense for, yeah, it's not your vibe. for me to do that. Right. Um, so the the huddle environment is appealing to both of these characters because the way that I'm approaching social media is so business oriented like it's just such it's just I, I see so much opportunity and I see no roadmap and I'm just like okay this is like where you live man in this murky jungle this is what you like you know so figure it out but but yeah the the standards of what I can ship out now they have to be relatively high and I don't think people have patience for me really say hey I can test something but rolling out something that isn't really great I do feel like I just can't get away with that anymore. How have you thought about seeing a therapist? <laughs> yeah. I don't have talk time for that. that. I, do, I do have a, I, I have had a, uh, this is a totally separate thing, but I'm a huge advocate of her. I have had a leadership coach for a long time and that was definitely the best decision. Really? Oh yeah. Like once a week, uh, once every two weeks. Yeah. Deep on the. Just all the interpersonal, I, a lot, I felt like a lot of blockers for me in the early, I was blocking myself. So yeah, the entrepreneurial journey for me has been the biggest, like look in the mirror that I've ever gotten. Cause in the beginning uh -huh. it was just so, I'm going to go back to what you said about your, about how do you test stuff when your audience uh -huh. is so big. But while we're here, yeah, it, it's, it was like a huge game changer for me. Cause I was like in the early days it, like, you know, 2018, I was like, why isn't this working? Mm. Like I get up every morning and I like, do the thing. It's just, nothing's happening. Like what's going on and having a coach help me realize like what was going on. And it, it is essentially, she, she's essentially like, uh, this is a therapist of sorts, but she's a, she's a leadership coach. Okay. So a leadership coach, what are they, what are they, what are they doing? Because I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to lie. This is one of those things that I'm kind of like, I don't do, I don't do this. Yeah. I don't work with a coach. What, what do they do? Is it just that outside perspective that isn't your buddy? Who's like, you know, dude, can we talk about anything else when we're well, eating I, nachos and like yeah. this just ruins 
the, th- the Mexican th- food experience when you talk about business all the time. Well, you seem very like in tune with what is authentic to you. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I got from coaching mm-hmm. is it like, it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. Like, what do you want to do? What's authentic right. to you? When I think when human beings are authentic, we're at our absolute best. And so wondering how so-and-so is running their board meeting versus how you're going to run your board meeting versus <laughs> how you're going to do social media. Like, again, to me, it was like all those opinions. Right. My coach is like just an advocate for me. Like yeah. she's an advocate for my most authentic self, the most authentic version of me. And, and you know, some of that can sound a little bit like woo-woo in a sense, but some of it's very practical. Like right. who do you want to be as a leader? Like how do you want to do it? You know, because like the ones that we admire is like, it's not like, you know, like I I say this all the time. It's like we, we, we see someone like we see Bezos or Zuckerberg or whoever. Throw Elon in there. Come on, throw my boy Elon in there. Yeah. All right. Elon Musk. He is doing things that. And then, and then what happens is someone writes a book about it. Right. Which is even worse because then it's their story of what happened. Correct. Which is clearly not what happened. And then they force and then that's the way that you do it. But if you actually mm. went down to the, the dorm room or whatever, it's mm-hmm. not like he sat there and was like, here's the Facebook plan for right. 10 years. At least that's not what I would imagine happened. What I imagine right. happened is it was like what we're talking about is you just, you try something, you get feedback. You try something, you get feedback. You try something, get feedback. Yeah. So it's all retrospective thinking. So I, I almost, I, I almost don't even pay attention to it for me, for me. It, sometimes it bites me in the ass because there's some practical stuff that you just like got to know. Mm. Right. But most of the advice that's out there for business, I tune it all out. And it's not that I'm trying to be like, I don't, it doesn't occur to me that I'm being righteous. Maybe some people might view it that way. But the way that I view it is that like, it's not super generative for me to like try to figure out what everyone else is doing. The most generative things for me is when I'm really real about like what's authentic for me. And that's the big thing that I got from coaching is it's like, it's not really about the how to book on to be a leader. It's more about like, who do you want to be as a leader every day? Right. Well, especially when we get into nitty gritty, trying to draw a roadmap through this thing where there wasn't a roadmap or getting really prescriptive. It's like what I try to do and what I'm, what I'm pledging to do in this podcast is highlight when you say words like iteration, right? The fundamental things that truly are part of every journey. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right. (laughs) So like my whole thing is it ain't going to be pretty. It's iterative. And you don't get to decide how to get rich. The market's going to tell you. So that folds into iteration. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, A huge chunk of my life was my ultimate, my ultimate belief and my vision was to become a rock star after I quit Wall Street. Yeah. And I, it literally almost killed me. Like it almost killed me. It bankrupted me. It took my health. Like I was like, I'll do anything. It's like the market responded, didn't respond nearly enough for me to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. And I just pigheadishly kept smashing my head against the wall until I had nothing left. And, you know, maybe I should be thankful for that experience because I literally went to, you know, rock bottom is the, is like the cliche, but the best way to describe it literally went to rock bottom, like from being like a hotshot on wall street, um, acting more like my rich guy character than the really rich guy character, right. pain in the ass, flamboyant, <laughs> fucking arrogant asshole. Right. And then literally getting ground down into a paste, working in a clothing store, making $12 an hour, having spent millions of dollars traveling around the world, investing in my band and just had nothing to show for it. So when I told people, you know, I told the store manager, Hey, you know, your accounting methods a little like, you know, you should, they were like, get a nine and a half for, for John over here. (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> those those experiences, I think, are so important. I have my own version of that, where I was just being, I want to call it entitled in a little mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. where like, no, no, but I should. It should be. It should be this way. Mm-hmm. It's it's no, a really no, no. delicate balance for have. It's it's such a delicate balance to like have a vision, right, and go for it, but get get like you said, get the feedback that the world is is showing you. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously there is some practical stuff. You know, like, like I, like in the, even in the beginning, I was trying to finance the business in like an interesting way. And I was kind of like, no, like venture capital exists for a reason. You're like, uncle Paulie, like, we got to do this the yeah. old, to go to the old country. <laughs> Here's the safe note. This is how it works. Uh-huh. You know, that I did get some really, I've gotten, a, I've gotten a ton of really good advice. I just think for me, I have to like, I have to somehow stay true to my own authenticity, but take this take the, like you said, there's this practical advice that you just do along the journey to get feedback or just do things in in the way, just do things in the right way. There's time. There's a time component here because you have to give your idea, maybe your unusual idea some time in the market. Yeah. But to think that you're the only right person is no. that is the ultimate arrogance and, and entitlement. I think that's where the ego thing comes. That's in really where the high. ego thing comes in because yeah. you're like, I'm the only right person in the entire world. You're a fucking idiot, dude. It's like that makes no sense. And and nothing could be more pure than in the music and in the creative arts because it's 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 so problematic. It's I haven't even processed this whole phase of my I'm, life, FYI. So I'm like, reading the uh I'm reading the Rick Rubin book right now and uh-huh. he's been like obviously heavy on on tour right now, right. marketing it and like yeah. to- talking a lot for the first time. I've been following this guy for I I find this guy like fascinating. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I got from the book is around this concept that like the ideas aren't yours and that meaning a super intelligence that comes from somewhere else. Yeah. It's coming from somewhere else and you've received it and that super intelligence doesn't care if you do it or not. Uh That's actually been really helpful for me because it's like, okay, if I don't do this, someone else is, if I, if it's not my idea, right. It's coming from elsewhere and someone else is going to do it. I may as well be the one to do it. Mm. You know, like when we were launching Huddle, like three other things came out at the same time that like that always happens, you know, part of its general economic timing. Mm -hmm. It's helped me to not believe that the idea is actually mine. Mm. Like I've somehow received this thing versus the other thing and I'm either going to do it or someone else is going to do it. That's actually that's actually helped me like lighten the load a bit. Well, you distance yourself from the idea. So it's not you're not going to, you know. Dot, live and die for this idea. You're like, okay, this is a pretty good idea. Let's check it out. But you yeah. don't say, I'm going to the grave on this idea. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not, not even yours in the first place. So you and then it becomes distance. less about me, hopefully. So then right. I take the ego and like arrogance out of it a little bit. Or it's like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna try to do this. It's it's because th- for me, this is the ultimate. Like when I put the mirror on myself, it's like the music thing. Certainly, the the music that I was writing, these th- there was a, a d- some kind of <laughs> divine or some intervention. Like I yeah. was writing these songs where I look back and I'm like, I don't know where, where these come from? came from. That's amazing. You know, I don't know where these came from, and these are things that I think I'm really proud of. The, one other thing I'll, I'll say about about value, or you don't get to decide, right? Is timing is also such a huge component because we can pull in the. Uh, uh, the Van Gogh example, like, so you can't look at Van Gogh and say this sucks, right? But in the in his time, he fucking timed it wrong, right? Like it, it had nothing to do with him. He just timed it wrong, right? So the dude has literally the most worst, destitute, psychosis-filled life, and now we're you know billionaires are trading his paintings back and forth, right? As collateral, right? So 
it's really interesting to me because, and it's another thing you just have to accept. One other factor, the market gets to decide and it has to be the right time. This is another example, if, if the technology is too early. So the Rio, uh, the Rio jukebox was the first MV, MP3 player. I had it. You fit like two and a half songs on it. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a groundbreaking thing. You know, this, this, this Rio jukebox, right? And have you ever heard of Rio jukebox? Yes. Oh, you have. Okay. So you're a complete freak like I am. I'm right? just, I'm a huge music fan. Okay. Me too. So here's the thing, right? Most of the f folks listening to this have no clue what the hell the Rio jukebox is, but everyone knows what the iPod was, right? And everyone has an Im embedded iPod in their freaking phone. So even if you, so, you know, you're so young, you haven't even seen a iPod, <laughs> you know, um, know that there's an iPod living inside of your phone right now. Uh, and that's just an example of, you know, I'm sure the execs at Rio are like, we could, well, you know, fuck, like, you know, they didn't, they probably lost money building that product. Yeah. And all they did was just like tee it up for Apple to be like, you know, we're going to make this a lot easier. Yeah. It's going to hold more be a good idea. Yeah. T taking this thing. Thanks guys. And then furthering it along, along I, the line. I love how you've come up with a framework of this for yourself. Like the, you don't get to decide is such a, it's, that's so good. Well, I've heard Especially some, for, for me today, that's like, there's a couple of things that I'm like, oh, wow, you're right. That's so good. That's good, but it's I, about I time you agree with me. I don't get something. to decide. I don't get to decide. <laughs> but going back to where we originally got here in terms of like shipping things to your audience, like something that we've done that I have found helpful is because we have this audience, mm -hmm. we can create a group uh, of our users at Huddle who just see our stuff first. It's like mm. 20 people. And we're just like, mm. be brutally honest. So wow. just an idea of you do have these, you know, super fans of yours could be a way to harness that, that wow. energy is, you know, cause like they'll give us really st stupid, honest feedback. Cause they're like, I would use this. I wouldn't use this. This is a great idea. And it's also like a great way to get our community to contribute to what we're doing. So you, okay. So well, I ring, it's I like a test group in a way. It's brilliant. And, and it's just big enough. What I do is I ring fence it in my own way and it's still too big because I'll pick like, oh, I'll just drop this to the newsletter. Oh, so right. if you read the newsletter, you only, only that audience will see it. But again, that audience is still huge and it's too big. It would be incredible to pull together this kind of environment. It's see, that's smart, Mike. That's pretty smart, dude. Um, we got to hang out more often, man. Seriously. Absolutely. I'm new. I'm new to Miami, so actively seeking uh, friends down here. <laughs> Why Miami? And don't ask me. I don't want to tell the story again. You go. You've probably told it before. And I lie every time because uh, I, I don't well, really know why I'm here. <laughs> sometimes I don't either. How'd you end up down here besides taxes? <laughs> uh, my co-founder, Stephanie, is a Miami native. Okay. And we had talked before even doing Huddle. We were we used to talk about like it would be cool to build a company between Brooklyn and Miami. Okay. Or more generally, we were like, why don't, why don't more people do companies in Miami? And I just, and this was because she grew up here. So she was, you know, always coming here to see her family and stuff. Yeah. And then the pandemic happened and more people started coming here. And, and then now, the whole thing with the mayor happened. Right. And yeah, we, we were trying to raise money and she was like, we should just be a Miami company. Hell yeah. It was yeah. pretty much that simple. She was like, what if we were a Miami company? I was like, sure. I was coming down here to work alongside of her anyway. Right. And so, and then it became a little bit of a practical decision, honestly, like okay. as a founder with the tax thing, 
can be easier to build. It can be easier Absolutely. to take a, a take a low salary and build a and build a company here if you pay less taxes. Yeah. And then also like I was in New York for 15 years and I just kind of wanted to change. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Miami's Miami's growing and maturing in real time. I think it's cool to be part of something that's going to shift and change a lot. Every, yeah. Like New York's going to shift and change a lot too, but like in a I, different I think, direction. Yeah. I think, I think this, <laughs> I think, I think Miami's really interesting right now yeah. in terms of more people moving here to like build a company versus go to work. It's the, it's it still has the wild West feel. That's why I, I came here and I stayed yeah. because I met guys that were outside of my, my network. So the, well, I, I used to call it MBA versus Miami hustle. Like, you know, coming from New York mm -hmm. and on Wall Street, it's that it's that hard track. Like, I do this and then I do this and then I get this degree and then I do this and then yeah. I make this amount of money and then I go to this country club and then I die. You know, like, and Miami's just like, dude, I make more money than 10 of those guys at once and I literally, like, failed out of high school. Like, and I just love that because I'm always a fan of the person that's closest to fucking reality. And those are the people that are closest to reality, the hustler. Because the hustler's like... I don't need to look a certain way. I just need to print money. Isn't yeah. that what we're doing here in business world, right? That was intoxicating for me. It also just made starting a business so much less scary because really? I'm not a Silicon Valley guy. I don't have a deep network out there. That was intimidating to me, raising lots of money. That that whole environment, it's not me either. Miami was like, you know, fucking come as you are like it's like just the cue the song it's like you know just be whatever you want to be as long as you work and yeah. you print money you know and eventually you buy a two hundred fifty thousand dollars sports car to <laughs> hang out with was, yeah <laughs> it's a real thing so that is it is a real thing it is a real thing guys everybody in miami like at a certain level goes g-wagon or for G-Wagon or Ferrari? Like, I haven't had a car. Like, I, I sold my last car when I was, like, 23. And here you are, us at the pool. You're like, I don't want to blow up your spot. <laughs> no. No, don't. Don't. Uh, There's a lot of yeah. tax advantages to having a heavy-ass vehicle. but Yes, that that was the conversation yeah. about the tax break. Right. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, where my brain went was, uh, like, dating in New York does sometimes feel like an interview whereas like <laughs> I, I was, i'd be like two on two or like date three here and like the, like i don't even we don't know we don't even know what each other's you don't dad. even know no what their even, first name is <laughs> <laughs> no it's more like there's not the intensity of like yeah it's cool i mean people people generally move to new york for career-oriented reasons people right. move to, to miami for just different all types of different reasons right so it's this different type of conversation you might have with somebody. Here's but the deal. I, 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 like, I like everywhere. Like, I generally think I could live in, like, a lot of different places. Right. Here's the deal. New York is so compressed, and the, the strata, the social strata, is so much... The layers are fine. They're like a... What is it? The limestone. They're like these little thin layers. So in New York, my my impression yeah. is everyone is trying to find out exactly where your layer is because it's compressed. It's like, okay, you are you okay? You're here. You're here. What? Okay. Well, like people what? are like people are trying to classify you. Hundred percent. Yeah. Because it's it's okay. Or you're, you're trying to classify yourself. Well, and this is the psychosis that we get as New Yorkers. It's like, well, I'm an investment banker, but I'm at a boutique shop and I really wish I was at Goldman. And then really, and then from Goldman, I really should go to private equity. Like there's like this, this is like little strata. And then I think what happens on a date, and by the way, not just a date, 
like meeting a, a, a first anybody. first meeting someone yeah they're like how many times are you on a date in Miami and the and the you know the other party says buy side or sell side it's like what does that have to do with anything Jesus what does that have to do with anything? in New York it's just so compressed where in Miami it's like that's so funny in Miami it's just wide open space you know also like man there's just on social media right I, the comments I read the fuck I read the fucking comments guys okay your comments are like comments on comments people. on my stuff because yeah. I'm just trying to keep up with what's going on right and um you know everyone goes Miami's that's rented like blah 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 you know what that is that's that's snobbery in a different way like yeah. it's not rented it's not it there's a lot of rich people here guys you don't pay state income tax right so like there's this thing happening here and there's less status in the way that there is status obsession that there is in New York because everyone here I think is an is a an oddity an, a misfit of sorts who couldn't live there or didn't go there and they came down here in the wild west literally the home of the cocaine cowboys <laughs> to, to try to you know get rich or die trying and that's where oddly i feel comfortable <laughs> you're making me feel more comfortable about it i feel like a little bit of a misfit or i've, I've just always wanted to do things like in a different way almost, like almost oh. probably to my detriment sometimes like if everyone likes a thing i automatically am trying to figure out like what the other thing is like the I, weekend do you like the weekend the the artist yeah yeah i like the weekend because <laughs> everyone doesn't everyone like the weekend yeah i mean i'm not going to go into like you know detail here yeah. No, I mean, I was like, I had the mixtapes before. Really? Had, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm from, I'm from, I live in Brooklyn, You, you man. are Come from on. Brooklyn, confirmed. We saw, he was like Brooklyn Steel or something, like, you know. Oh, God. 200 people there or whatever. I got to grow up. I got to, <laughs> I got to hang out with you, your friends. <laughs> I'm just, I'm blowing, I'm blowing it. But that's what, that's what, that's what initially drew me to Miami. By the way, this, all this like intensity we're talking, it's, it doesn't matter where you freaking live. <laughs> I know that's, that's actually what I wanted to say. It's like at a certain point this when I was absurd. coming down here yeah, yeah. and everyone was like, is this or this? It's like, can we talk about anything else? This is like <laughs> really like the most boring conversation ever. <laughs> Not this conversation, but like. You can talk less about like splitting the atom. Like at some point you're like, and that's how you split an atom. <laughs> and in Miami it's like, but still it's like this, it goes deeper than that. And the scene is changing. It's like, dude, how I thought I understood it. It keeps what? Let, okay, let let me tell you. I was, it was uh, our buddy's birthday party uh, on Friday. So I saw you on what Saturday? We met. We bumped into each other at the pool. Mutual friend. Yeah. I was out at my buddy's my buddy's birthday party at one of these one of these places, the New Hot Place in, in South Beach, right? <laughs> and listen, man, <laughs> I have been a lot of places. I have really been a lot of places. I've seen a lot of things. Nothing was as insane and sceny as this restaurant. It was the most sceny environment I think I've ever seen in my entire life at this restaurant. And what's happening to Miami is, and the reason I think it's it, it is that, is you have Miami plus New York plus LA, all the people trying to make a big move, and they're all here. They're all here grinding it out and having fun and playing too. Yeah. And you see all that energy in one room and you're like, holy shit. It was, it was intoxicating. I didn't even, I was, I didn't even drink. In a good way? In, in a good way. In a good way. Because. In, in, in a way like you, it, it made you feel empowered? It made me feel empowered. I was like, look at this circus. 
that I'm a, I started to feel like maybe I was a part of something for a second. I was like, you're one of those, you're one of those people. You're like, you're doing something. And that's why you're allowed to kick back here. Something weird like that. Some, some little moment of belonging just for a second. And then it went away. And then I felt like an idiot again. <laughs> Man, I should go out more apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they bang you up for like, it's just, it's like, no matter what you do. I was like, I had ice water. They're like it's three grand. I'm like I had ice water. I didn't even eat the sushi. Why is it three grand? I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. What, what's now, what happens now yeah, for Huddle? Now? For Huddle? What happens, what's, what's the next stop for Huddle? The next stop for Huddle, um, we're, we're taking on more customers and growing. Where do people find you? They can find us uh, at huddle.works, W-O-R-K-S. Okay. And with Huddle on all social media. Great. Mike, thanks for coming, man. Thanks for having this me. Was this awesome. was so fun. Guys, if you like that, don't forget, click like and subscribe, okay? I know it's new. I know this podcast environment is new, but we love it. It's going to stick around. You get to hang out with more people like Mike. This is awesome. Thanks yeah. for joining, guys. Thank you so much for having me.